Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Um, I do want to talk about being wise today and, and already a number of the things that have happened in the singing and, uh, and even, even in Lisa's sharing, they tie in with what I want to talk about. In Romans 1, uh, many people use this as a judgmental uh, chapter, but it's quite a challenging chapter for Christians because in verse 22, it says this, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. And verse 21, it gives us a few things that, that actually identify this truth. Uh, we, we know God, but we don't glorify him of God as God, and we're not thankful. And, and those things produce a futility in our living. And so what I want to look at is the wisdom we have in life and the journey we make and how we make decisions. See, I, I'm not making your decisions. I want you to have the wisdom to make the good decisions. And so in Acts 19, there's a great example of Paul. And he's, he's in trouble with a guy called Demetrius, who's a silversmith, who makes his living out of making images of the goddess Diana or Artemis. And, and there's a big blue going on, and he's stirred up a whole lot of people. And it comes to a, almost a citywide riot, and then the clerk, the city clerk gets up in the crowd and says, fellow Ephesians in verse 35 of uh, Acts 19, do not do anything rash. So, so straight away there's a, hey, before we jump to conclusions and then from our jumping to conclusions, we run into actions, let's just pause a moment. He says, you've brought these men here, though they've neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. This is a very interesting passage for us as Christians in the world in which we live about how we handle things. Paul was very careful in the way he said what he said. You know, there's nothing in that accusation where he denounced Artemis or Diana. All he said, if you read through it, is that these carved images aren't the God. He didn't say she wasn't a God. Now, we would want to get up as Christians and say, well, she's not God. I totally agree with that. But Paul is saying, let's be wise in this journey. Let's not go busy fighting these things when we can present a better narrative, a better gospel. See, we have a gospel, a good news, a better story that's more attractive if people will hear it, if we tell it in a way that is truthful but shows people what Jesus is really like. Now, for them, there is apparently a media fell from the skies that looked like this, and they've ended up making a story of Artemis. Some, some people say maybe they just made it up anyway. Who knows? Regardless, people, they believed this image was Artemis or Diana, and the craftsmen kept making money by making images. Paul did not attack her. He just said the created things weren't God. As Christians, we need to be wary and very wise in how we disagree with the world. I'm not saying we don't disagree. It's impossible that we should not disagree. There are two worlds. There's the world of the world and the world of the Christian. We are children of God, a different culture, a different people. We will agree, uh, disagree. How we express that disagreement is where wisdom comes in. Now, if you're prone to speaking out without really thinking like I am at times, I would suggest you say nothing. 
until you've actually carefully thought about what you say. Or as my mum would often say to me as a young man, a teenage boy especially, engage brain before opening mouth. Now, sometimes as Christians, we, we, we get offended at something the world says and we want to jump up and defend God like God needs us to help him. God chooses to allow us to partner with him. So I love what Matthew says. Jesus says in Matthew 10, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Amplified says, be innocent as doves and have no self-serving agenda. So when we're ready to fight something, is our agenda self-serving? Quite a challenge. Are we really defending the gospel or are we defending our position? Are we, what are we actually doing when we want to jump up? The verse warns us to be careful about our attitudes whenever we face opposition or apparent opposition. And today, it's very specifically true to us. How we react and how we view our leadership in this nation and in every area, whether it's social, political, secular or spiritual. New South Wales just got a new premier. And we have these two worlds already going. He's a Christian. He's a strong Catholic. He's, he's going he's to fix the bad legislation and he's going to get rid of this abortion freedom and he's going to deal with this gay LGBTIQA plus one or whatever, QQ plus one, I don't know. Um, he's going to deal with this. And so we have that. The others see him as an enemy. So one group sees him like a saviour. One group sees him like an enemy, a devil who will try to remove their liberties for debauchery and the unrestricted killing of the unborn and the elderly. See, just because someone gets in, and Christians, we, we, we saw Scott Morrison get in, and all of a sudden we saw Scott Morrison as saviour. Jesus is saviour, not Scott Morrison. He's a man who's in a political world who will probably do the best he thinks he can do in the situation. And whether I agree or not, he's still our Prime Minister and I will still pray for him. I will still respect him. I will not speak publicly negatively of some. I will disagree with some things. We need to be wise in how we respond to these things. Because at the end of the day, if we respond badly, all we do is create more division in an already polarising nation. We make warring parties and just, just have, instead of just people with a different viewpoint. You know what happens if that continues? We end up with a civil war. And I don't want anything like that in our nation. In North America for nearly a century, the people and the politicians of the northern and southern states had been clashing over issues, not just slavery, but issues. One was economic, where's the money going? Next was cultural values between the north and the south. Then there were the states rebelling against the federal government. Doesn't sound familiar, does it? And then there was the governments, all of them, against the people. Locked down, whatever. And also slavery. And it led to a civil war. In England in the 1600s, they had a civil war. Charles I believed it was his divine right. Some people live like that, but no one else's. Spent heaps of money, basically making the nation go broke. And with the other nobility, overtaxed anyone with money. And the rulers would end up being against the people. They introduced martial law and mandating compliances. Does that sound like a world we're living in today? 
In some measure it does. In USA, they had a civil war and nothing good comes out of that. So what did they do? Well, there were Christian men who decided there was a way we could work forward. And they had a thing called separation of church and state. And the first expression of this came with Thomas Jefferson in a letter that he wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association of Connecticut. And the whole idea of separation of church and state was to stop the government interfering and controlling the activities of the church. Had nothing to do with the church being involved in government. It was about stopping the secular powers, forcing secular laws against the spiritual beliefs and activities of the Christians. The God of the founding documents of, the, of, of America was actually Yahweh, Jehovah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus. And I wonder what Jesus would have thought about how we handle similar tensions across our nation. They may not be as strong, but we are looking at issues like this in our nation. So how would Jesus view it? Well, I think the parable in Matthew 20 is a good parable. Jesus talks about a landowner, a farmer, who goes out to hire people in the morning and he meets a bunch of people and says, look, I've got work for you. Fair day's pay, fair day's work. Uh, and they say, yeah, we'll work. And the harvest was so big, he went back and got more later. And throughout the day, he, he hires more and more people. And it's interesting. Now, when we talk about wisdom, I probably wouldn't have paid the people the way he did. I would have paid the people I hired first, first and got rid of them. But for the sake of the parable, Jesus says, and he decided to pay the first workers after he'd paid the others. So he works through this payment process and they react to him. Those who were hired last, they said, you've made them equal to us, to the lender. You've made these who've come in at five in the afternoon, done one or two hours work, the same pay as we who've worked from six in the morning. You have made them equal to us. Well, I hope you're not offended at that as a Christian. See, there's something about us that wants to say, well, that's not fair. How come we live in a world of unions? This wouldn't happen. People would be on strike. Jesus makes the point. These later workers are upset, not because the farmer wasn't being just, but because in their view, he was being unfair. See, justice and fairness are two distinctly different things. And when we start to look for fair, we're looking at the wrong thing. How many children do we have to tell their parents, that's not fair, Johnny got, but I got. See, The agreement was, I will pay you a denarii, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, and he paid them that. There was no agreement at the beginning just to deal with the communist, socialist people. There was no agreement that whenever you started, you got paid the same. The landowner said to these people, I will pay you what is right, just. You will get justice. You will be treated justly. But then in this this thing's parable, the situation seems to be that the farmer is moved with compassion. 
he realizes that these later employees still have a family, still have children to feed. And so out of mercy and kindness, which is unfair, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Just thought I'd let you know the verses. It's unfair, but he wants to be generous and his generosity varies. The guys who got employed at nine, he was less generous than he was to those who got at midday or those at three or those who got at five. The last workers, he was most generous too. And none of it was fair, but it was all just. And see, we want to get all up in arms about fairness when the truth is it's about being just. What a world we live in when people complain about it's unfair. I'm sorry, is it just? See, we live in one of the most prosperous countries. In fact, I believe the most prosperous or the best country in the world to live in. Is it fair that you got to live here or you had the ability to get to live here? Is it fair when, and when nations like ours, think about this, is it fair when nations like ours will only take immigration generally on people who can support themselves or who are smart and so we rob poor countries of their income and intelligence and we think we're doing them a favour? Pretty quiet at the moment. Is it fair that some people have to pay a fortune and guarantee their own income when some people can sneak in on a boat? Why is it that we will take some refugees, but then in an immigration process, we only want those that can benefit us, but de-benefit the country they're coming from? Now, I'm not against anyone moving. Please don't get me wrong. I would want to move to Australia if I lived anywhere else, including America. Right? We, we have the best nation to live. But, you know, there's a place where fair and just are different. It's just for people to come here. It's not wrong, but it's definitely not fair at times. But God will always be just. See, it wasn't fair when Jesus died on a cross for you. It wasn't fair when God said, I'm moved with compassion to people who can't pay their, the debt for their sin. People who have no capacity to pay their way out of the situation. I will pay for them. That is not fair. But God, to, do, to bring us freedom, had to operate justly. And so God in Christ gave himself and paid the penalty to death so that you and I could inherit eternal life. That's unfair. But I'm sure glad God is kind. James tells me, submit to God. Why? Listen carefully. James 4.4. What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Am I due to finish right now, am I? Oh, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. When our focus is wrong... When we want our desires, all we do is produce conflict. All we do is produce war. All we do is produce argument. 
And I want to talk about how do we act wisely. If you have anti-social media, because um, it's not social media, I think Pastor Wayne Alcorn explained it quickly. The Greek for Twitter is sewage, um, <laughs> whatever. But everyone posts, and if there's a problem, they will post the story the way they want you to hear it so they appear like the victim. Join with me. Let's get vengeance. Let, let's repay them. Let, let's shame them. Let's hurt them. Let's unfriend them. Let's separate from, I did nothing wrong. It was all them. I am sorry. If you're hurt and hurting, but you only make it worse when you don't operate the way God calls us to operate. When we seek our own desires, it only leads to more fights and quarrels. So quickly coming back to our civil wars, we have two sides to pick. Will we pick the side of righteousness and the ways of God and the wisdom of God? Or will we pick our desires and the ways of the world? Will we fight economic interests and cultural values and overtaxing and mandating compliance and things of the flesh? Or will we fight spirituals? Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with these things, but where is our battle going to be? Are we going to fight to show people Jesus the way Jesus really is? Or are we going to project our thoughts of Jesus defending our desires and our perspective? I see, I want to remain thankful. And remember, I live in this great nation. But think about the early church. That when persecution came, they all didn't gather together and march down the street in opposition to persecution. They scattered and did one thing. They focused on what was important. They spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And regardless of the situations we're in as a nation, regardless of what you believe, regardless of your feelings and whether it's right or wrong, are we presenting Jesus to people? Paul didn't run Artemis down. He presented Jesus People need Jesus. They need a God who's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, relenting from doing harm. Are we reflecting that or are we up in anger and dismay and opposition and we're always against something? Now, I don't necessarily agree, but what, what am I persuading people? What am I projecting to people about the image of Jesus? God who freely gave himself unfairly to pay for our sin so we could be free, so we could know him and find his love and that healing and wholeness and soundness of mind and real life, abundant life, both now and for eternity is in this God, this Jesus. And people need to see the one who died for their sin and rose again. Not our arguments. Not our arguments against things, but our presentation of Jesus. A God who on the cross prayed for those who were executing him. He could have come down from the cross and said, you're doing the wrong thing. This is a proposition to God and angels there to come and smite you all and I will fight. No, he just hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. What kind of Jesus are we presenting when we stand up for what we believe in? And are we standing up for the right things? Are we battling naturals or spiritual? For our warfare is not against the naturals, but spiritual things. People need to see in us the Jesus on the cross who forgave them. A God who loves kindly and unfairly offers real life to all 
who will choose to follow him. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, it's not that we don't see problems in our world and it's not that we don't disagree with them. But Lord, we want to fight fair and fight righteously. We need wisdom to in the midst of the battles present Jesus Christ as he truly is. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant loving kindness, a God who relents from doing harm. Lord, we want people to see us standing up for Jesus, not running them down. A Jesus who died for sinners, who didn't condemn them, but presented life and hope and forgiveness. Yes, they have to make a choice, but we want to present Jesus in a way of wisdom, a way that shows the love of God to them, shows the mercy of God to them, shows the compassion of God to them. Yes, you will be just and always will be, but you are unfairly kind and unfairly just to us. We do not deserve it. And Lord, none of us here who believe in you deserve it. And those who don't know you, they don't deserve it either, but you offer it freely to us all. And today with our eyes closed and heads bowed, maybe today you want to choose Jesus. A God who loves you unfairly, but he loves you. A God who against everything in the natural realm loved you beyond measure and gave his life for you. Took your place, an innocent dying for the guilty so the guilty could be made innocent. Jesus did that for you. All he asks is that you live for him. And if you want to do that with our eyes closed now, I'm going to pray and I'm asking you to pray with me. If you want to pray this and ask Jesus into your life, pray now. Heavenly Father, forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for offering me forgiveness of all my sin. I receive Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And I ask you to forgive me of everything. Give me a brand new start in Jesus' name. Amen.